Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. My name is Randy Baker, and I'm flying solo today as Kent, Dr. Kent was not able to, um, to join us. On this podcast, we talk to people who have interesting businesses and who think very deeply. And the idea of the podcast is to find thoughts that will challenge the way you think and possibly give you new ways of thinking. And today is no exception. Today we're talking with uh, Ruth Glendinning. Now, Ruth is the founder of futurestorylab.com and it is an interesting, very interesting projects that she works on. Some call it peace economics, some call it ecosystem architecture. There's all sorts of ways to describe what Ruth is doing, but I think the easiest way to describe it is to say that she is making a massive impact at a local level. So let me allow Ruth to explain to you what she's doing. Here's Ruth Glendinning. Well, hi, Ruth. It's great to have you on our show today. Hi, Randy. It's fantastic to be here. Great way to end up end a week, you know. Yeah, so here we are. We're in Austin. You are also in Austin with me, um, yes. but you're not an original Austinite. So maybe you can tell me about your journey to Austin. Well, um, I was born in the UK. I was born in London, and I lived in three countries, including well, four countries if you count Texas, before the age of five. And so you moved to Houston. And my dad was an optometrist, and everyone asked if he was in the military because we moved so much. It's like, no, we just literally have gypsy in us, so we like to see the world. So I, when you grow up in Texas, you're either going to UT or, or Texas A&M, and I was UT all the way. So I moved to Austin to go to school, <laughs> and like, like many people just never leave, and it's under your skin. And, and it's, it's one of those places, as was described to me as it's a place where you can still be surprised. And mm -hmm. that's what keeps us here is that there's every time you think you're kind of at a dead end, it turns into something else completely, you know, and that's the excitement of it. I think for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I living in Austin, I absolutely love it. I, I like the hot weather. So when summer comes around, I'm in my mm -hmm. element. Um, although today is kind of dull and <laughs> dreary, but that's the way it is. So, Ruth. You know, the beauty part is we'll have nine months of summer to go. <laughs> well, that's true. You've got that right. So that's awesome. <laughs> Tell me about what you do, Ruth. What are you up to these days? Well, I am an entrepreneur from the get-go, and but it's a different kind of entrepreneurship. It is very grassroots and what can we do at the household level so that we have more people engaging in their productive capacity. I uh, just had lunch with a friend and, and the way I, I look at it is, you know, we have more to us than just what is measured in transactional dollars. So we want to bring more of that to the table. We want to have find ways for people to move from just making a living to making a life. And the way we do that is in the household. I'm very inspired by Gandhian economics, the village economics, where what he said 
is if the village fails, India fails. And what I've done is take that back a step further and said, if the household fails, we all fail. And so here we are in this moment where we can actually have the technology available to us to create a marketplace in the world, find a way. And we learned during COVID that time is available to us and we can use technology to activate who else we are to create the world that we want to live. Uh, One of my big projects I did is I took an old grocery store and turned it into community renaissance market in South Austin. It was at Westgate and William Cannon. And we had a commercial bakery and a commercial kitchen and, you know, a number of retail uh, vendors. And what we we incubated is almost 90 businesses in 18 months. And about 60% of those are still in business in some way now. And so closed in 20 years. And what, what we did is we created a way to activate those invisible capitals that keep us all connected. Now, I love the concept of you know, small village concept mm-hmm. of, of small businesses being the, particularly in Austin, we see it all the time, small business mm-hmm. is the backbone of our economy. How do you, what, what's the business model? Do you get investors to help support these projects and then? Well, it, so th- there's a number of entry points. You know, it's, the, the community renaissance market came about because through just a couple of handshake deals, someone said, here's the keys to a grocery store. What can you do with it? So that's, and so it, it builds on relationship and trust capital. That's really the, the most valuable capital we have, right? Is to how people, how we care for others and how they care for us. Now, one of the issues has been that for funding, people have been acculturated to look at very transactional outcomes mm-hmm. that they're like, if it can't go big, then go home. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and, and so they're looking for their exit strategy, not to actually root deeply and sustain. And a lot of the work, a lot of the businesses I'm talking about have been categorized as women's work and or lifestyle businesses, you know, and so people, if they can't scale globally, then they're not interested. But the reality is, at the and as we've all learned through the various outcomes and, and downturns here in places like Austin, if we don't have some micro connection with people, our households fail, our communities fail. Uh, we need the people who are going to cook. We need the people who are going to clean. We need the people doing what is traditionally called women's work, which is invisible, invaluable, undervalued, and essential. And so when we talk about taking a community renaissance market as a model, I can sell the big picture of it, you know, and I was just had lunch with uh, somebody this week who's going to be making it part of their ongoing future housing developments because we're going to have a commercial kitchen and a commercial bakery in there. And all of a sudden that becomes interesting. You know, people are like, I can find a way to stay in my home without Mm. leaving my community. So there's all kinds of benefit to that. But as far as the individual household businesses, the idea is to add technology to what people are already doing to bring it to the marketplace. And towards that, one of my uh, development partners is a company called 214 Alpha, which has a virtual marketplace platform. So it's a perfect fit with this where we can have people exchange goods and services. But instead of paying the high uh, percentage to Etsy and to Amazon and places like that, which are very extractive, it's reinvesting those monies into the community for a long-term value. 
So I really love that. And it makes me wonder, what was your journey into this sort of thinking? When did you discover the whole concept of, you know, household fails, society fails? I know Gandhian well, is a village and yeah. the extension, but what about you personally? What was your journey to there? Well, my, my father was born in Scotland and he was born into dire poverty. And my grandfather only went to fourth grade in Scottish schools and my grandmother was a maid in London. So I'm not very far removed from that storyline. Mm -hmm. And But what changed for him is that his parents wanted him to be educated and to move beyond where they had had stopped. And what that meant is that they had to leave Hoyk, Scotland, and then they had to leave Birmingham, and then they ended up in London just in time for the bombing of London. You know, so it was like, yeah. but that was better than working in the mines in Birmingham, you know, so yes, it's kind of yeah. like, right. Yeah. And so I saw, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of was born into it, I think, where I saw how using your creativity and building a social construct completely changed your opportunities in life. And on the other side of it, my mom was, you know, that side of the family were uh, related to the Delanos, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So it's very kind of blue blood on that side of the family. But all of them were also entrepreneurs and inventors and creatives. So I think that, you know, epigenetics doesn't hurt. But I also have been an avid reader and have always sought out, had an insatiable curiosity about people and cultures. And I just saw this pattern of people being left behind, that they had more to bring forward and they were only valued for the thing that this predatory capitalism system favored for its own benefit. And so we're in this completely this consumer cycle, but what we need are producers. And it's part of human nature to be productive. You know, we produce things, we're people, this is how we got here. And so as I started, I learned about Gandhi, of course, but as I went through the community renaissance market experiment, because it really was just one big old prototype, it occurred to me that we were thinking of technology, we needed to flip the script on it. And so that's where the concept of slow tech came in, sustainable local organic work plus technology, where technology became a means, not an end. Because as Donald Norman wrote in his book about the invisible computer, we can never you know, keep up with technology. It is designed to outpace us. And so it becomes, the value becomes immediate to fewer and fewer people. So I, I joke that, you know, growing up in Houston, the whole moonshot was a big deal. And everyone knew somebody in the astronauts program and the NASA program. And I said, here's what you got out of going to the moon. You got a microwave. But that wasn't the intention of going to the moon for you to have a microwave. That was just one of the things that kind of trickled down to you. And, you know, on a material sense, but on, an, on a bigger spiritual sense is we have the capacity to be so much bigger than we imagine if we're given the tools to do it. You know, so I think that probably between my, my dad's story, <clears throat> living in Houston during the moon shots, and, you know, and just having this long history with uh, revolution and rebellion on my mom's side, that's, this is what you get. So, hi. That's, that's, that's quite some mixture. Um, yeah. and, I, and I love that. And it's, it's very interesting understanding how people's backgrounds and seeing how people's backgrounds create their thinking processes 
mm-hmm. and end up being what they do, particularly mission-based people, impact-based yes. folk. We've just gone through a, a pretty tough year economically, globally. We've seen a lot of change in the workforce. We've seen a lot of change in the way people live and interact with each other. I'm going to ask you to polish off your crystal ball just, <laughs> just a little and look into the future and tell me what you see. What's, what's the next thing? What's, what are people going to do? Oh, your, yeah. your music. There we go. I'll do it again. We're, we're in the most amazing opportunity cycle right now because th- I have a theory and the more you and I get to know each other, you'll understand I have a theory on everything, um, but that we're born into one of four questions. Is it true? Has it ever been true? Could it be true? And should it be true? So the people born after 9-11 who are now in their majority, they're in their 20s, you know, they were born into should it be true? Because they have no evidence that all of the stories we've told about what climate used to be and how life worked and whether you could get a house, none of that has proven true to them at all. So they have less to unlearn. Those of us who have traveled kind of the digital and analog highway together, we have a better sense. We can go into the, the could it be true and has it ever been true? We can question that. But what we really have to do is look into, and we're seeing this, and this is where technology is so helpful, is turning the light on and giving people the language, which is our most powerful technology, to ask the question of has it ever been true? And I think that's where the COVID crucible really, you know, baked people into a different storyline. And, you know, most of the polls have shown that 40% of the people have been deeply changed by, by COVID, by the fact of the kind of life they want, how they want to spend their time. Do they just want to make a living or do they want to make a life? With whom do they want to do that? You know, do they want to do that in an office or do they want to craft a different storyline around that. And the and what I find really key is that that 30, 39 to 40%, whichever number you pick, they're the younger generations. So they're already in there, should it be true? They have this ethical story around it. But what they need is intergenerational support so that they can get, you know, so we can root deep and rise high. We need that balance. And what has happened prior to this is that everybody in pursuing those global solutions, that global big bang, that thing that's going to put $100 million in their account, has been done without any uh, rigor around the cost of their win. So as where there was an article in Grist magazine uh, about four or five years ago that said, of the 100 top revenue-producing global businesses, None of them would be uh, profitable if they counted ecological costs. So, you know, all that, I mean, that's a lot (laughs) that I just laid out. But the bottom line is, is we now have the proof, we have the, the, the history of it not working so that we can look at that legitimately and objectively and say like, oh, okay, these are the real source problems. We don't need to just solve you know, what color my car, my, my electric car is going to be. We need to say, why do I have to get in a car and actually go someplace? If I can have the tools of productive capacity and making a quality of life right in my own community, which it used to be, you know, that's that we're going back to the old thing and adding technology. So it comes to slow tech. So I do think that this, this 
COVID year has re- helped people realign with who they are and who they aren't. But what they need now are the tools to activate that. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with much of that. Um, I, I believe that the last 12 months has forced people, whether they wish to or not, to mm-hmm. assess where their life is going. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect that the next 12 months we're going to see a lot of mental health issues arising um, as a result of the last 12 months. And I think we have to find, as a society, we have to find a solution to how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, in fact, I have always believed that times of great challenge is the best time for opportunity, and that's where opportunity hides. And for those who seek opportunity, We've had a year that has been very fruitful. For those who have lived in fear, we have a year that has been very damaging. So it's uh, it's very, very interesting. So, yeah. Cool. One last question for you. We're running out of time. We try to keep these relatively short. This has been super interesting. So thank you for that. So, Ruth, how do people contact you and who would you love to connect with? Well, my website is futurestorylab.com, and that's the easiest way to get hold of me. And also, I'm on LinkedIn, Ruth Glendinning, and Facebook, and Twitter, and you know the usual suspects, right? And what I would like to, who I would like to speak with, are people who are um, have a clear idea of a concept. Because what I do with Future Story Lab is I help people develop their economic narratives. I'm one of those people I finally d- landed on my title is I'm, I'm an opportunity ecosystem architect. I'm one of those people that has connected all over the world. But not only can I tell you who can help you, I can tell you who can really help you, you know. So I'm on social media all the time, as you know. <laughs> yeah. So I... That's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Ruth. We'll um, Hopefully we'll be in touch again soon and uh, maybe yeah, one day we can grab a coffee. So That would be fun because we can now. <laughs> we can now, yes. In okay. fact, I, yeah, it's, that's awesome. So I love the fact that things are opening up. Anyway, bye for now. Well, thank you, Ruth. That is extraordinarily Uh, exciting work that you're doing and I really love the thought process behind everything you do and I love the story about your your parents journey to the US and how you became so connected with the need for impact at a local level very much enjoyed our conversation so thank you now if you would like to hear and know a little bit more about Dr. Kent and myself, you can visit our website at thoughtpartnergroup.com. And on that website, you can read about us and read about what we do. But there's a little um, little button in the top right-hand corner that says free assessment. If you click on that, there'll be you know a dozen questions to answer. It's just very simple. It will take you a minute of your time. We'll spend a minute or two looking at those answers and send back a response very, very quickly. Uh, And you can find out just how visible you are and how strategic you are. I I personally found it a very eye-opening little survey. In addition to that, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast. We would love for you to get 
every one of our podcasts as they come out. And uh, even more importantly, we'd love to see your comments. If you want us to leave a comment and tell us what you like, or perhaps even what you don't like, we'll read every comment and we'll take notice. Anyway, that's it for today. Talk to you again soon on our next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.